Well, this summer I've been doing a sermon series uh, called A Summer of Story. There's a reading plan you can get out, either exit, so you can read biblical stories throughout the week, and then every Sunday I've been preaching on one. Today's sermon I called Lunch for a Bunch, and it is the feeding of the 5,000. I've been excited to preach this one. I was at a conference in Nashville on preaching uh, just a couple months ago, and uh, one of my professors from seminary, Dr. Craig Barnes, who's now the president of Princeton Seminary, uh, preached on this same text and got my mind sort of going about a lot of stuff, and I've been looking forward to this one. Sermon text comes from John chapter 6, starting in verse 1. After this, Jesus went away to the other side of the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. And a large crowd was following him because they saw the signs that he was doing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain and there sat with his disciples. Now the Passover, the feast of the Jews, was at hand. Lifting up his eyes then and seeing that, large crowd was, that a large crowd was coming toward him, Jesus said to Philip, Where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? He said this to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, Two hundred denarii worth of bread would not be enough for each of them to get even a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what are they for so many? Jesus said, Have the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down, about 5,000 in number. Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated, so also the fish, as much as they wanted. And when they had eaten their fill, he told his disciples, Gather up the leftover fragments that nothing may be lost. So they gathered them up and filled twelve baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves and left left by those who had eaten. When the people saw the sign that he had done, they said, This is indeed the prophet who has come into the world. Perceiving then that they were about to come and take him by force to make him king, Jesus withdrew again to the mountain by himself. This is a busy time for the disciples. Jesus is doing a lot of healings, he's doing a lot of teaching, the crowd is picking up, his ministry is really starting to take off, and more and more people are coming. Some people who have been healed, others who have had friends or family that were healed, others, I think, just hear about the spectacle of this man healing and traveling and teaching, and so the crowd is growing and growing to the point where we have about 5,000 people following Jesus, coming to watch him heal the sick. 5,000 people is a lot of people. That's a pretty demanding crowd. All either wanting to see Jesus do something cool or to have Jesus do something cool to them. And so the disciples are on the move, getting away from the crowd a little bit. Maybe they've been doing this for a few days, and now they just need a break. So they go up on this little mountain. The text calls it a mountain, but Israel doesn't have a lot of mountains. They're on this sort of hillside. 
maybe taking a little retreat, a little break. Jesus is talking to his disciples. Maybe his disciples are trying to get some space, a little break, a little retreat, a little, let's discuss boundaries a little bit, Jesus. We're all kind of wearing out here. And the text almost makes it sound like a surprise that 5,000 people sneak up on them. Like they turn around and there's 5,000 people there. But I don't think that's how it really happened. I think it was probably a pretty loud crowd that starts forming around them. They see them being followed. These 13 people with so many following them. Imagine the pressures. The pressures of having that many demanding people in a crowd. I can tell you crowds can be pretty demanding. And appreciate Jesus' humor here. There's 5,000 people plus coming. The text talks about 5,000 men. So we can assume there's probably some women and children there too. This is a big crowd. And Jesus turns to Philip, not Peter, James, and John, not one of the major disciples. We're talking about Philip, sort of one of the JV players, kind of one of the bench warmers among the disciples. He turns to Philip to test him and says, how are you going to feed all these people? And Philip, you can imagine, sort of shock. His jaw drops. Where are we going to get the food for this? You mean I got to find the food for this? These 5,000 people. He does the quick math in his head. Well, man, if I work for six months, that's about what this is. If I work for about six months, I can only give this crowd just a little biteful per person. What is Jesus even testing him for? The text is really clear. Jesus knows what he's going to do. He's testing Philip. But what is he testing? We often want to say, whenever we use the word test in the Bible, we want to say that we're testing, Jesus is testing someone's faith, someone's belief. But really, there's not a lot of belief in question here. I think he's more trying to question Philip's mentality. Will he think about this as an economic problem or will he think about this as something spiritual? And Philip thinks very economically. He does the math. And then Andrew, the brother of Peter, steps in. And apparently Andrew has already started thinking about this because he seems to be aware of what the food tally is. We have the, this is the accountant of the group apparently. You can imagine Andrew, he's a great trustee for this group. He's got a clipboard and he's saying, well, how much food do we actually have out here? we got five loaves and we've got two fish, this lunch of this boy. Which, by the way, the text never says anything about this. But doesn't that seem like an awfully large lunch for a boy? What was this boy's mother thinking? This is a giant lunch. We don't know how big the loaves are. We don't know how big the fish are. But still, this boy is packing a pretty big lunch. And Andrew knows where the food is. We got five loaves. We got two fish. But, but what is this compared to so many people? They're looking at this problem. 5,000 people to feed. We've got almost nothing we can do about it. Can we identify with the disciples at all in this moment? Can't life sometimes seem overwhelming? So many things in our lives from family, children, parents, work, our past, 
our future. Life can be every bit as demanding as a giant crowd. And that's just our life. Think about the global problems, what's happening in Syria, in Israel, AIDS, in Africa, poverty, homelessness. Maybe let's not even think that globally. Let's just think about our community. How many people are really struggling to pay their bills this month? How many are struggling with mental illness? How many people woke up this morning and were once again comprehending whether they could commit suicide or not? Huge systemic issues. Huge things beyond our lives, so much so that we barely want to think about them. We just put them off and think about solely what we have to do today. And we look at what we have to offer to these problems, and it's like five loaves and two fish. I'm not that smart. I don't have the finances to just write a check for a whole bunch of other problems. I don't have that much to offer. I don't know a lot of important people. I, I, what can I do in the face of such problems? Can we identify with the disciples in this moment, looking out at these 5,000 people? Do you know Jesus doesn't explain to the disciples at all what he's going to do? Did you pick that up in the text? What does Jesus say? Have them sit down. He didn't answer their problems. He didn't say how we're going to do this. He didn't say where we're going to get the money to feed all these people. He just says, have them sit down. But before the miracle can happen, a couple of things have to happen first. First of all, we don't ever think about this boy and his lunch. This boy has to give up his lunch so that all these other people can eat. Have you ever thought about the boy? text is totally silent about this boy. So Andrew says that the boy has a lunch. And then Jesus has everybody sit down and start passing out this boy's lunch. There's a conversation missing in the story, right? Where somebody pulls this boy aside and says, Hey, can we have your lunch to feed all these people? We don't know how young this boy was, but the boy is not stupid. He looks at his lunch and he looks around at 5,000 people and he looks at his lunch and he looks around at 5,000 people and he says, you're going to feed this to all of them? We don't know what happens in that conversation, but we do know that somehow the lunch becomes Jesus's and somehow Jesus makes the miracle happen from this lunch, this pitiful little offering. I mean, it's a big lunch for a little boy, but what is it compared to 5,000 people? And if the boy hangs on to his lunch, there is no miracle. If the boy hangs on to it and says, no, I'm not going to give up my lunch, well, it stops there. But then having the lunch, Jesus stands up, and the text is very clear that he gives Thanks. Now imagine the scene. 5,000 people on the hillside. Jesus gets ready to feed them five loaves and two fish, and he gives thanks. Pitiful little offering. Pitiful. Never, never going to be able to feed all these people. Never is these loaves and fish going to make it happen. And he gives 
thanks. He thanks God for the little bit that has been given. This is not our way of doing things. When we only have a little bit, we don't tend to give thanks. Even though around the world we actually have quite a lot. No, we want more. We demand more. We deserve more. The sense of entitlement that we have out of our life and out of our money and out of our jobs and out of our possessions, we don't give thanks. We demand more. I think one of the marks of a Christian is not wealth. It's certainly not wealth. It's not necessarily happiness. I think the real mark of the Christian is this idea of gratitude even though you have a little. That even though you have just a small amount, you can look at it and recognize that it's from God and give thanks even though it's not a lot. And so Jesus gives thanks and the miracle begins. Now, this passage from John doesn't share, but but in the other passages that this story is, is held, the disciples actually have to start passing out the bread and the fish. Which is another conversation I wish the text had put in there. You're looking out at 5,000 people. You take this boy's big lunch and you have to start passing it out. Imagine you're, you're one of the disciples right now and Jesus is here and he hands you a half of a peanut butter and jelly sandwich and tells you to start passing it out just to the people in this room. Well, you're not an idiot. You can do the math. Jesus, this sandwich is not going to make it past the first two rows. It's it's never going to make it past Jordan. And yet, they do it. Jesus tells them and they go and they pass the the object. I'm amazed at the faith of the disciples at this point. All right, Jesus, uh, we'll do it. You'll see how this works. But when it's all said and done... There are leftovers, 12 baskets full. And everybody gets to eat their fill. Everybody's stuffed from this meal and they take 12 baskets back. They call Jesus a prophet and they're ready to make him king. Why wouldn't you make somebody king that could feed you? If I didn't have to work, I could just go to Jesus and get a sandwich anytime I wanted. That's the kind of king I would like. If anybody runs for president that can make me a sandwich any day, I I will vote for that, that person. I like to be fed, especially when I don't have to do any work for it. There's a big question here as to whether this was really a miracle or not. You'll hear this in sermons and debated among scholars. The miracle seems to suggest that just the loaves and the fish are involved. Some have said that maybe the miracle is the miracle of sharing. So when people saw that this boy gave his food, they started passing around their food. And so the real problem was everybody was hoarding and they began sharing. The text doesn't really say that. That's kind of reading it in. And for me, it's really kind of a boring debate. I don't understand why people get so excited about it. I don't think the the cool question is whether this miracle happened or not. I think the really important question is whether this miracle still happens or not. I think Jesus is in the business of taking things that are small and making them big. 
I can point to you in Scripture time and time again where God uses little things and little people to do great things. I think that's what Jesus does because that's what gives Jesus glory. In fact, that's the way Jesus lived His life. A simple life dying on a cross. Taking something that looked like weakness and making it strength. I think Jesus wants to do that in our lives too. But we have some problems, don't we? First of all, I think we're way too economic in our own thinking. God wants us to do something, but I don't have the money to do that. I don't have the time and the energy to do that. And so we hold on to our lunches. We don't share our fish and our loaves. What is an hour of service? What is 10 minutes of devotion? What is an extra $10 in the offering plate? What, what is so little that I could do that won't make a big impact? We want to have this big giant impact, but that's not how the Christian life works. The Christian life involves us doing small things and God making big things out of them. Yeah, we can't give a lot. And we're small and our lives seem insignificant. But in the hands of Jesus, our lives and our giving and our time can be so much more. The question is, whose hands are your lives in? If they're in yours, they're going to stay small. But if you give them to Jesus... He can do mighty things with them. And I think the biggest sign of that, of whose hands your life is in, is whether you can give thanks or not. Because it's in thanks that we acknowledge that what we have is from God, and it's in thanks that we give it to God, and He can do great things. Isn't this true of our church? We start talking about things we want to do and they can sound big and they can sound scary and how do we have the resources to do that? And yet maybe a little bit at a time, everybody doing a little part, loaf by loaf and fish by fish, in the hands of God, great things can be done. And I think the same is true in our lives. What, what good could a couple dollars do? What good could an hour of service, what good could my relationships do. I can't do anything big to fix my relationships, my past. What, what can I do at work? You can do little things. And fish by fish, loaf by loaf, giving thanks and giving your life to Jesus, you can watch for the miracle to occur. Let me pray. Lord, compared to what we have to go through in life, compared to the challenges of our world, what good is so little that we can give? Lord, it can do a lot of good in your hands. And so we place our lives in your hands. We place our church in your hands, praying that you would take our little and make it a lot. Lord, there are so many needs. There are so many people that need so much. Take our little and feed many. Receive all the glory. Amen.
This week, some of you may go out and do great things for Jesus. But chances are that's not what's going to happen. What's going to happen this week is you're going to get opportunities to do lots of little things. Little words, an attitude here, a smile there. Opportunities to trust and obey Jesus with all kinds of little things. May you go out this week with that mentality. Not thinking like Philip, all economic about what can this little stuff do. But may your attitude be one of, Jesus, in every little thing that I can this week, I want to worship and praise you. And may God's peace rest on you as you go. Amen.